This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Jason Burns and Access Church in Lakeland, Florida. For more information, visit access.tv. Here's what we thought we would do. In a few minutes, we want to share a message in our relationship series that's really aimed to hit all different stages of your relationships. We're calling it Love, Marriage, Baby Carriage. And we want to talk about every different season of love and relationships. Yeah, and we have a testimony. We really do. Just going into that. Yep. And that is that usually when we speak together, talk about marriage, it is like the worst week in our marriage. <laughs> but we didn't fight this week. It's kind of amazing, yeah, everybody. We, I mean, we're not holding it out. There's what, how many hours left? But one time we went and spoke at a church on marriage, like they brought us in to speak on marriage. And we had like the worst fight of our lives in the hotel room the night before. And I'll tell you what it's about. I'm not afraid. This psycho wants the room so cold at night that he wants Jack Frost himself to like decorate the room like a psychopath. Like, Cold, don't amen that. Who did that? Okay, look. No. I'm always like, I guess you want me miserable. Okay, but look, look, <laughs> if you're at a hotel, you pay one price, you might as well crank it as cold as you can. I want it so cold don't you can hang meat in the room, everybody. That's what that. I want. Like, Anyways, that's... I like to cuddle. I like to be swaddled like look, an infant. No? Okay. We carried that fight onto the stage at the really church. Did. We're preaching in front of thousands of people, and we're like, hmm, I bet you do act like that all the time. It was just wild. And so we've had a good week. Had a good week. We'll see how it goes from here. We'll okay. So we're in a series this, this week that's... Uh, it's, it's a really important series on our relationships because our relationships, after our relationship with God, our relationship here really determines the quality and the direction of our life. And we want you to get it right. And so we had this thought, what if we had a message that hit every season of your life when it comes to your relationships? And here's our hope that all of this will apply to everyone in the room, whether you're single, married, single again, parenting, not parenting. My hope is that it helps everybody. And if this doesn't apply to you, here's our simple advice. Take notes and tuck this away. Put it in the medicine cabinet of your life because you have no idea how God could use this in the future to help you in different parts of your relationships. Let's get started. All right. So we're going to start in section one, love. And uh, the first point we came up with is this. Uh, put everything in its proper season. Put everything in its proper season. God is a God of seasons. Some of you just need that word and need to hang on to that today because some of you are in a tough season right now and you're like, I don't want this to last forever. And it won't. Life is all of about seasons, right? We think of Ecclesiastes to everything. There is a time and a purpose and a season, right? But we really um, serve a God of order. And when I say put everything in seasons, where love and where our, our heart is concerned, especially thinking of my single friends, my younger friends who are our, our little Access Youth buddies and, and people like that, or really anybody who's out there, um, especially want to touch on the area of like our sexuality. The Bible says this in Song of Solomon. It says, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. And what does that mean? Well, sex in relationships, in marriage is a good thing. In fact, it's a God thing. In fact, God never just gave us rules to be like a joy killer. Some of you, like, especially I remember being a youth and you're like, well, God's just doesn't want me to have a good time, you know? And that's not it at all. God never gives a rule before grace was given, in fact. Um, I was reading through the Old Testament and in the book of Deuteronomy, God is giving the law 
to Moses. And over and over again, he says, do this so that it will go well with you. Do this so that it will go well with you. Do this so that it will go well with you. And the idea here is that God has a plan and a purpose and his plan and his seasons are the best. He knows best and he designed these things best. Like I could say it like this, um, like driving a car is a good thing, right? But I'm not gonna tell my nine-year-old, dear God, to get behind the wheel of a car. I'm not gonna tell my 13-year-old, I don't even like my 16-year-old behind the wheel of a car, but he is. But it's like, I'm not gonna tell my nine-year-old to get behind the wheel of a car, right? Why? Well, it's not time for her to get behind the wheel of a car. When she's 16, she'll get a license, it'll be proper and it'll be good, so there's nothing wrong with her driving a car. Why can't she drive a car now? Well, we know things. First of all, she can't really see over the wheel, right? (laughs) She's not big enough to drive the car. She can't understand the ways of roads and how scary that can be and all those things. So there's a season for that. A time will come with that. And it's the same with sex and and all those things. God designed sex for marriage, okay? No way around that. He designed that in that time. But there is blessing that comes when we follow the commands so that it will go well with you. And a lot of it is not just talking about sex too. Like, Sex is the easy one there, especially thinking about that verse in Song of Solomon. But honestly, the giving and taking of someone's heart is a big deal. Um, Some of you are dating and you are all but married. It feels like you're doing everything, but you're not actually married and you haven't made that covenant promise to one another, but you are essentially in some ways like saying, well, we're gonna do everything because you know, it's just this and that. But there's a time and there's a season for that, friends. My young friends, protect those hearts. There is no regret to getting up one day, getting married, standing there and saying, you know, I've really watched over my heart. I protected it because there is something that changes in marriage when it goes from dating to marriage. Now I've made a covenant with you. And it actually really reflects the covenant God made with us where he died for us. He said, I'm going to send my perfect son and forever we can be together. And and that's kind of how it is. There is a difference and there is a season, but it's not to ruin your fun. It's not to make life awful and not cool. Um, The seasons are there truly for your benefit. And we believe that blessing follows too when you follow God's direct design for marriage and dating and singlehood and all of it. It's so good. And let me offer you two quick thoughts on that. The first one is this, is that I think it's important that you have a right picture of God. Uh, One of the things that's changed for me as I've gotten older and even as I've become a father is I want the best for my kids. I have rules for my kids, but it's not to stop them from having joy. It's so that they can have joy. I don't have rules for my kids to keep them from fun. I have rules to protect them for the fun. If you can see God as your perfect heavenly father and understand that he wants wants the best for you. You'll put your things in life in the proper seasons because you know that it is God's intent to protect you so that you can have the ultimate joy. Now, sometimes when you talk about God being a God of seasons and you talk about getting things in the proper season, in the proper order, it's really easy to think about all the things that feel like restrictions. Something I love that you touched on is this. In scripture, even in the Garden of Eden, before God ever gave restrictions, he gave blessing. Think about the Garden of Eden. God says, eat from any tree you want except for one. It's blessing blessing, blessing, restriction. Why does this matter? Because how you see God affects how you relate to him. And God is a God of blessing. That's number one. But I also think this is important too, is that there are some things that end in certain seasons and there's some things that should never end in seasons. Here's an important one to all the single people. And then to all of those who you are married, when you date someone, isn't it funny how you pursue them with all of your heart, you bring chocolates and cards and gifts. When we were dating at one point, Liz said to me, she goes, Hey, can you can stop buying me cards? I literally am the reason. And Hallmark is still in existence because I bought every single version of every card you could ever buy. 
And it's easy when you get married to think, well, that season of pursuit is over because I've got her. I've landed her. It's over. It's done. But here's the truth. Pursuit never stops. Keep bringing your best all the time. Guys, bring home flowers because it's a Tuesday. Do special little things because you love her. Do whatever you can to pursue her and that season of pursuit never stops. Here's number two, okay? Number two is if you're single or you're in the season of love, become the person you're looking for is looking for. And this is one of the funny things. We live in this culture that's all about looking for the right person. Um, when I was a student in like high school, they were talking about finding the one. You gotta find the one, right? And it was, it was this pursuit. And here's the funny thing. I think we bought into a myth at some point that there is one right person out there for us. Can I let you on in a little spoiler alert? There are 8 billion people on the earth. There is more than one person who will feel like a compatible match for you. You need to though work on instead of finding the right one and exerting all of your emotional energy to find the right person, instead work on becoming the right person. Here's a way to say it. Become the person you are looking for is looking for. Let me ask you like this. If you're single and you met the perfect person, he or she is beautiful, perfect, perfect smile. They love the Lord. They have a heart for people. They're just wonderful in every possible way. If they found you today, are you the kind of person that they're looking for? If you're not, here's the principle. We live in a world where it's a bunch of broken people feeling like I'm looking for someone who will complete me. When I was younger, there was a movie that came out called Jerry Maguire. And we're all looking for that magical moment where we run into the person, our eyes are full of tears and we say, you complete me. That was never the goal. You were intended and created by God to be a complete whole person with a whole heart who is seeking someone else with a whole heart, not two people to make 100%. It's not two people bringing 50-50 each. It is you and your spouse bringing 100% to each other. Now, I want you to get this because here is the litmus test for you. And this is so challenging. I'm going to step all up on your toes. There is a chapter in the Bible, 1 Corinthians 13. It's called the love chapter. If you've been to any wedding, chances are they probably read some passages from this because it is beautiful and poetic. Yes. For no reason. I I think of it when I eat. (laughs) And um, so here's what I want you to do. If you're single or married, this, this applies to you. And here's the principle in first Corinthians 13. There's a bunch of love is statements. Love is this love is that. How about you substitute the word love for your name? And I want you to ask a question. Am I actually this? So I'm going to read this slowly. And as I read it, I want you to look in the mirror. This is not a moment to look at your spouse and be like, "Mm mm-hmm, and like elbow them. This is not that. I want you to answer this for yourself. Ready? 1 Corinthians 13, 4. Love is patient. Are you? Love is kind. Would others say that about you? It does not envy. Is that you? It does not boast. How about you? It is not proud. How's that working out for you? It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. Woo, there's a challenge right there. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. If you want to find the right person for you, here's my advice. Become the person you're looking for is looking for. Make the commitment to become the right kind of person so that when you meet the right person, when you meet the one, you are the person that they have been looking for the whole time. Yeah, I was going to say this too, like zoom out for a minute and take this out of marriage, okay? 
as Christians, love is supposed to be our hallmark. Love is supposed to be the thing that we are known by. So even before I'm talking about loving you, like how are you doing at reflecting love to the world? You may say, I'm neither married, I don't want to be married, or whatever's going on in your life. No problem. Love is still all of our callings. All of us were called to show love to the world. Like it's easy to love the people I love. For the most part, most days I have a great and easy time because I'm in love with you. But what about the people that aren't in that circle? Am I showing God's love? Am I being kind, patient, slow? to anger, all those things to all those around me. Like that is such a litmus test for all of us in, in the mark of our life, because how are we doing with that? I see sometimes Christians described as some of the angriest people or, or we shout the loudest, but what if we were truly known by our love? I think it would be kind of revolutionary. So that's a free tidbit. All right. Number two, we're going to move on to marriage. So that was love, dating, all those good things, the good fuzzies. What about marriage? And um, mine is going to start this way, and I hope this is a word for somebody, but I don't want you, don't confuse your spouse with your savior. Okay? Listen, this is important. I have seen so many people get ready to get married, and they're like, I'm looking for the one that completes me. I'm looking for the one that makes me happy every day. I'm looking for the one that never fails, the one that's satisfied. And I'm like, ma'am, that's a pizza. <laughs> like for me, that's a pizza. A pizza never fails. You know what I mean? But it's not Jason's job to make me happy every day, to be the completion of my soul. I think you spoke at Christmas, and I don't remember exactly what connotation it was in, but you said something like, don't put on people expectation that they truly can't carry. And a lot of us have done that, you know, knowingly or not knowingly, to a spouse, even to friendships. I've done that and been like, I found my one true best friend. Now you always have to be there for me. Well, I have never found that person who wouldn't disappoint me at some point. A spouse is going to disappoint you at some point, right? Why? Because they're not the person who created you. They're not the one that can complete you. You already have that in God. And let me tell you, some of you are going to be like, that's so cliche. No, are you living that? Because until you are living as if God is the completer of your soul, you will go through unsatisfactory relationship after unsatisfactory relationship looking for something that only God was designed to fulfill in you. Only God was designed to fulfill your soul. Marriage is like the awesome gravy on top. And when we're doing marriage right, one of the reasons, we'll be married 20 years this year. One of the reasons we've lasted and made it is because we both said we will continue to pursue God as we pursue one another. And I feel like the more I pursue the Lord, the closer I actually get to you because it shows me how, when I get closer to God, I realize how selfish I can be, right? And selfless living really helps a marriage out. Um, but your spouse was not made to complete you. They were not made to never let you down, to never make you sad. In fact, if you have any confusion about this, go to scripture. Always go to scripture, by the way. The Bible is everything. But in Colossians 2, it says, for in him dwells all of the fullness of the Godhead uh, bodily. And you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. You are complete in him. That doesn't mean when you get married. That doesn't mean when you have kids. I mean, right now, today, you are complete in him. Now, are we living like it? Am I living like he is my everything? When, until I do that, I feel like it's just 
so, um, it's just a life of searching. It's a life of ups and downs because I'm looking for something I already have. And until we're willing to do that, I actually think once we do that, we take those pressures sometimes off of people. Like no one was made to be your savior. Like you're the best husband in the world, the best dad. But like, if I looked at you and said, man, you have to do this. You have to save my soul. You have to, there's no way any one human is made to carry that. So don't confuse your spouse with your savior. I love that. And I love what you said too. The idea that the more we pursue God, the closer we end up getting to each other. It's like, imagine a triangle, husband and wife at the bottom of the triangle and God at the top, the closer we get to him naturally, the closer we get to each other. It's such an important deal. Number two, and this is the single best piece of advice I could give to every person who's married in the room. The principle applies to friendships and other relationships, but let me speak specifically to those of you who are married. We've had the privilege to teach this all over the country. This is the thing that we hear back the most response on, and I want you to get this, ready? In your marriage, number two, fight to kill unrealistic expectations. Fight to kill unrealistic expectation. I want you to think about the wedding day for just a moment. It is the most beautiful, sacred day. Two people are so in love with each other. We did some funny stuff the week of our wedding. We went on a crash diet. I don't know if you've ever Do done a crash recommend. diet. Yeah, zero stars. Do not recommend like a crash diet. Like the thing is, if he fell in love with you and already proposed, why diet now? Like, right, you know what I'm saying? Right, like, it just feels as if. But it's for your wedding. Right, right, right. So we it's more this, about the pictures. We yeah. did this diet called the Sacred Heart Diet. You make this soup, and the whole idea is to help you lose weight really, really fast. And the soup, it's like this broth nasty. and vegetables and cabbage nastiness. is like the main ingredient yeah and they say you can eat as much of the soup as you want and you eat three bites and you're like that's all i want that's how no you lose wonder weight you can eat as much of it. nobody it wants so this. bad and over the course of that week leading up to our wedding i legitimately lost 10 pounds in one week don't woo for that yeah not, and, we shouldn't celebrate this and then the the last night of the diet when it was over you went to some party for like a baby shower or something and i was like kevin McAllister in home alone i ordered a whole cheese pizza all for myself. I ate a whole cheese See, pizza, pizza never all fails. by myself. That's a thing. Okay. And um, somehow I gained seven of the pounds back in one night. I don't know how that works, but it is what it is. So then there's your wedding day. You, you get the perfect suit or a tux. You get the perfect dress. It's beautiful. Everything about the day is set up to feel like a fairy tale. You give your lives to each other, but here's what happens. When the bride walks down the aisle on top of her veil, she's also carrying something all of her hopes and dreams. Yeah. And when she gets to the front, she meets her groom and he is standing there ready to get married, but he's standing there holding all of his hopes and dreams. And when they exchange vows, they exchange their hopes and dreams for expectations yeah. and they unfairly lay them on the back of their spouse. Let me tell you what expectations do. They rob your spouse of the potential to bless you. Let me explain it to you like this, okay? Say hypothetically, this is a crazy, silly example, but imagine that I had a crazy expectation of Liz that every single night, seven nights a week, she would prepare a gourmet, five-star, home-cooked meal for me that I wouldn't have to do anything, but it would be there ready for me. Hypothetical. Hypothetically, hypothetically. And imagine if six nights in a row, she did it perfectly. Perfect meal, it was amazing, perfectly cooked. I eat the meal, but on the seventh night, she's not feeling 100%, and so she thinks, we'll just get some takeout from somewhere, and she doesn't do it. All of a sudden, she hasn't met my expectation. Are you with me? And so here's what's happened. Now we're in a debt and a debtor relationship. Now I feel like she owes me. But hypothetically, if she hit it every single night, if she always hit her expectation, all she's ever done is gotten back to zero or back to even with me, and I've robbed her of the opportunity to bless me. 
Here's what happens. When you, when you rob them of the opportunity to bless you, you ruin, you shortchange the potential of your relationships. When you drop expectations, everything they do for you is a blessing. You feel blessed by the meal. You feel blessed by the act of service. You feel blessed by the hug. You feel blessed by the intimacy. You feel blessed by everything they bring to the table because you don't expect it of them. So let me try to explain it to you like this. Um, some years ago, I was preaching a sermon on, on marriage and love. And I've preached on marriage a hundred different times, a hundred different ways. And when you've preached for a long time, sometimes it gets challenging to find a creative angle on it. So there was a Sunday morning. It was super early. I'm getting ready to go to church. You were still in bed because I'm more spiritual than you. And I was getting myself ready to go. We might fight today. We will see. And um, I was getting ready to leave the house to go. And I look, I'm going to be honest. For generations, philosophers have argued over what is love? What is it? From Socrates and Aristotle to Beyonce and Taylor Swift, everybody's argued over what love is. And so I was like, Liz, I'm, I'm struggling here. What, what is love? And she's like half asleep. She goes, love is you before me. And she went back to sleep. And I was like, dang, girl. Some of us don't need to be up that early. Yeah, wow. I was like. Be that spiritual. So. If, you're, uh, if you're that smart when you're asleep, how smart are you when you're awake? And, and that was it. And here's what I want you to understand. Love is you before me, but expectation says you owe me. Love is you before me, but expectation says you owe me. And when you live in a relationship where you feel like the spouse owes you, you rob them of the potential of blessing you. Let me say this to you. Expectations are not just about household chores. Here's some expectations I wrote down. Some people buy into the lie that I shouldn't have to work at my marriage. It should come naturally. Some people buy into the lie that I should always feel in love. Like I should always get butterflies when you walk into the room. I do. But some people feel like you should always get butterflies. And what we do is we treat love like a noun. It's something you fall into, like you fall into a ditch or fall out of, like you fall out of a tree. That was never intended to be what love is. Love was not a noun. Love's a verb. It's something you do. Some people think we shouldn't have problems that we can't resolve. The psychologist, Dr. John Gorman said 69% of issues in marriages are non-resolvable. Uh, one other thing is some people think, well, it's my spouse's job to make me happy. Listen to me. Your happiness is not dependent upon your spouse. Happiness is an inside job because our joy isn't dependent upon our circumstances. So drop expectations and you will discover a new level of intimacy that maybe you've never experienced before. That's so good. Sorry, I was really vibing that. <laughs> I was like, wow, that's good. Okay, I'm here too. All right, sorry, I forgot. Um, so going on to the baby carriage portion, uh, talking about parenting, this is exciting. Um, this kind of little phrase I'm about to tell you comes right from scripture, but it revolutionized parenting for me. You know, I, when we were uh, making building access, uh, I was stay-at-home mom for 12 years and it was really hard. Sometimes you're a person who, um, and maybe some of you in the room are in this phase of life. It could be really hard. You feel like you have to place all of your need to achieve, all of your need to accomplish on the backs of your children. And that's not fair to them. I heard it said before that we take too much credit for our kids' successes and we feel too much guilt over their shortcomings. And I think that's so true. You know, my kid isn't my thing to put up as my shiny accomplishment. Like, look what I did there. That's not fair to them. It's sort of the same as putting that expectation on a spouse. But um, this phrase, uh, a trusted friend in ministry said to me, and it's this, we raise to release. We raise to release. So what does that mean? This comes right out of scripture. Um, it comes uh, out of right out of Psalm 127. And it says, like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth happy as the man who has his quiver full of them. Well, if children are like arrows, what do you do with an arrow? You don't hold on to it, do you? You pull back and you 
let it go. That's hard for a lot of us, right? Like, I love my kids. I'm like, don't you guys want to stay with mommy forever? But they don't, I don't want that for them. And in reality, I want them to go out and thrive and live amazing lives. And when I'm thinking of raising them to release, it becomes a lot less scary when I realize I'm not just releasing them into the scary world. Like I'm releasing my kids into God's plan and destiny for them. So I believe that when my children were born, we laid hands on the womb. We, we said, Lord, bless these kids. We dedicated them from day one. We believe God has a plan, a purpose, something that only they can do. We have three kids. I believe, I pray specifically over each one. I believe that there is something only they can do in this world, but I have to release them into that. So I say, I'm raising these kids. We're doing this together. We do all these things and then we release them. And that's a joy knowing I'm not releasing them to let them go forever. I'm saying more than I love you. I love the Lord and I know that he loves you more than I love you. And I trust his plan and purpose for your life. So I'm raising them to release them like a little arrow. I got to let them go. Even though it's very sad. I know. All of you hit us up. We have a 16 year old and I keep thinking about senior year. All of you who have gone through it, hit us up. I need hugs and pizza. So when you think of the, the goal of parenting is to raise your kids to release them, doesn't it change some stuff for you? Maybe you'll stop over parenting because they need to be able to make decisions on their own. Maybe you'll stop under parenting them because they actually need a parent to help them make decisions in their life. An interesting study came out that I read this week that said over parenting and under parenting both create different types of issues, but they create the same sort of mental illnesses for children as they get older in life. When you think about the goal is to release them, you're gonna parent them in a proper way so that they can become the kind of person who can step into their destiny with full confidence. Here's the final thought and then we're done today. Number two is you'll never be a perfect parent, but you can be a praying parent. You'll never be a perfect parent. In fact, you'll never get it all right. There's gonna be lots of days when you make mistakes. When you have that beautiful baby, you're in the hospital, they don't hand you a user guide or an owner's manual. You figure it out. And no matter how much advice you get, you're gonna make decisions that you're gonna regret. There will be things that you wish you could undo. But here's what I want you to understand. God has a destiny for your children. The book of Ephesians chapter two says that before God laid the foundations of the earth, he had you, which means he had your children also in mind. God has a destiny for them. When you pray for them, it has a way of doing more than you could ever do with all the planning and all the workshops that you could ever attend. Look what David said in Psalm 138. David says this, he said, the Lord will work out his plans for my life for your faithful love, O Lord, endures forever. Don't abandon me for you have made me. Got a spoiler alert. He's talking about himself. This applies to you. It also applies to your children that God has a plan for them. So go ahead now and start praying over the plan and purposes of God for your children. The second part of this is I want you to think about what you're leaving to your children. One of the words we use here at Access a lot is the word legacy. And the, the question of legacy is what will you do that will outlive you? We often talk about it in the context of our giving because as we give as a church, it's literally going to make a difference around the world. And that's a huge legacy we can leave. But I wanna offer you a thought when it comes to parenting. It is possible that the greatest legacy you will leave is not something you do or build, but someone you raise. Your greatest legacy may not be something you accomplish, but it might be someone that you raise. And when you think about this, you'll change the way you parent, you'll change the way you think about parenting, you'll change your relationship with your kids. The book of Proverbs 13, 22, Solomon says this. He says, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. I want you to think about this for just a moment. 
For some of us, you're like, oh man, I am in trouble because I ain't got no money. Like, what am I supposed to do with this? Some people leave wills, some people leave bills, and I'm a bills person, you know, like there's that thing. But I want you to understand there's three different types of inheritance that I believe parents can leave. The first one is a money one. It's a financial inheritance. And I want you to understand maybe it changes the way you think about your money. Maybe you start to, to, to delete the lie. It's the assumption that everything you have is for your consumption. Maybe you start to set money aside and do things differently because you understand scripturally that a good person leaves a financial inheritance to their children's children. But there's two that are greater than money. The second one is a good name inheritance, an honorable name inheritance. What does this mean? It means you live your life with integrity so that when people talk about you, they say, that's an amazing person. That person loves the Lord. That person was faithful to God their whole life. That person died still in love with their spouse. That person is the kind of person that I want to be when I get to their age. It's an honorable name. And the third one is an important one. It's a spiritual inheritance. And I've been blessed. Liz has been blessed with the best parents imaginable. And that they, they will leave stuff, I'm sure, but the greatest gift that they will leave to us someday is a spiritual inheritance. Here's what it looks like, and let me give it to you for you. You need to raise your kids to have their own relationship with God. You need to have kids who see you worshiping God. You need to see kids, you need to have kids who see you give. You need to be the kind of parent who prioritizes being in the house of God. What does it mean? It means that your children have like a 0.0 something percent chance of ever making it as a professional athlete, but they have a 100% chance of standing before the judgment throne of Christ. If you treat church as optional, you will raise kids who treat Jesus as optional. So what would it look like for you if you said, kids, listen, I know that you love playing sports, but we're not going to do the travel soccer league. We're not going to do the travel softball league this year because putting God first matters more than being on a sports team. What does it do? It helps you to raise children who prioritize their own relationship with God. Let me say this to you. It is okay in the early years for your children, for them to have a borrowed faith. They should see you worshiping God, loving God, having your own relationship with him. But there's gonna be a point in their life when they hit a crisis of belief. There's gonna be a psychology 101 professor, a philosophy 101 professor who will challenge everything they've thought. And if their relationship with God is borrowed because of you, they won't have anything to stand on. But if you can give them their own foundation with God, that's how you build a spiritual legacy. What does it do? It changes everything for us. So here's how I'd like to end today. In a room this size and plus our audience online, there's so many different people in so many different stages and seasons of life. There are people who are single. There are people who are single again. There are people who are married. There are people who are divorced. There are people who are widowed. There, there are people in every different imaginable season of life. There's some people who have kids. There's some people who desperately long to have kids. There's some people who wish they didn't have the kids they have. Be honest, okay, like there are those people. And here's what we wanna do. We wanna pray a blessing over every stage and season of your life, if it's okay. Principles we've taught today are, are principles that apply, honestly, to different seasons of your life. If it applies to you today, praise God. If it doesn't, set it aside for the future, but we just wanna pray for God's blessing in every part of your life. So here's how we thought we'd close out today. Can we all stand together? And we're gonna pray a blessing over all of our relationships. Let's pray. Thank you, God, that you are the completer of our souls, the one who formed us, the one who sees us. I pray for each one today who is feeling lonely, hearing this message, going into this week of love, going, man, I don't have that in my life. God, would you pursue them? Would they turn to you and realize everything they've longed for you did and so much more, that you're the one who would die for them? 
You love them so desperately that you would leave the 99 just to go after them. God, help them to feel complete. Help them to not turn to other ways that will surely leave them unsatisfied. God, be so strong and so real. For those whose marriages are struggling, in the name of Jesus, we are praying for miracles of restoration of marriages. In the name of Jesus, we know that no situation is too far gone, Lord, that you cannot restore. You are a God of restoration. You are a God of healing. God, those who are in this room struggling with parenting, God, let them realize that the kids are yours as they release them back to you. For those longing to be parents in the name of Jesus, God, would you answer prayers for those who have been praying those. We thank you, God, that no matter what season of life we're in, we prioritize your word and your plan because you know what's best for us. So I pray a blessing on each one as they go today, that they would realize that you have a great plan and that even before you ever ask anything of them, you give them your love and grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And we thank God for that, everybody. Amazing, amazing. Love it.